they're people that just kind of walk around with the victim mentality. You know what I mean? Where everything is just, everybody's against me. They're kind of the Eeyores of the Winnie, Winnie the Pooh of your life, right? And it's just kind of, just kind of, you know, that, that life-sucking kind of person that just kind of pulls that out of you. They're the slow leak in the hot air balloon of your life. I mean, they're just just—they're taking the fuel right out, of, right out of you. Now, we are certainly called by God to love these individuals, but when we are around these kinds of folks in our life, we have to guard our hearts. We have to guard our hearts and keep our eyes on Christ, or you can also end up being a lot like them and being very depleted uh, in, in, you know, in a spiritual kind of way. But we've got to realize something, too, is that we all have a tendency. All of us have have it within us to, to be this, uh, this one that kind of takes the life out of others if we're not careful, right? Uh, and we all can get negative. Because, and why is that? Because life is hard. Man, some of you have been through some hard stuff this week. Some of you are going through the hardest time of your life. Some of you have been through things like what you heard Richard just in a, a few moments share some of the stuff that he went through in his life while being a part of EBC. He's had major health problems He's gone through relationship problems. He's gone through, uh, you know, all kinds of, of different things like that. Oh, Shauna. And uh, he's gone through, uh, he's gone through, uh, where was I? He wa- he's gone through, she's part of our family too, right? And uh, he's, gone, he's gone through all kinds of difficult things. And, 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 and you know, whenever you, whenever you realize, go through stuff like this, you know, what we realize from God's word is that we are called We are called to spur one another on to love. We're called to spur one another on to love and good deeds, right? In the book of Hebrews, go ahead and turn there with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. And we're also going to look in Acts chapter 4 among a few other passages of scripture. So look with me in the book of Hebrews chapter 10. And I want to show you some things from God's word, how we are called by God to put fuel in the tanks of others. We're called by God to be a spiritual fuel tanker, all right, to motivate them. And the writer of Hebrews is is seeking to do that very thing with this group of believers, these Hebrew believers, these Jewish believers. He's coming alongside them, and he's trying to motivate them into deeper fellowship with one another, stuff that goes beyond the surface. Why is he trying to do this? Because life is tough here, and people are going through difficult things. This isn't our home. Heaven is our home, right? Heaven is where our citizenship is, which we'll begin to talk about in these next few weeks. We need each other to help one another persevere through the tough stuff that we're going through in our lives, right? We need each other. Did you hear Richard say, you know, when I moved, whenever I, whenever I went through these illnesses, when I went through a divorce, the church came around me. They were involved in my life. They wept with me. They were there with me. They helped me through some of the most difficult times. And what the author of Hebrews is going to say is you need one another to persevere until the return of Jesus. Because this is in our home. Jesus is coming back for us. Now look with me in Hebrews chapter 10. Let's start in verse 23 and begin to work just through a portion of this passage of Scripture. Here's what the author of Hebrews says. He says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise, right? The promise that he is returning for us. He can be trusted that that he is coming for us, right? Now, here's what he's going to say to do in the meantime, right? While you're waiting on Jesus to come back, verse 24. 
Now, let us think of ways to motivate, what does it say? One another. Let's think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. So let's just look at verse 24 and begin to just kind of break it down a little bit. First, notice that he says, let us think of ways. So he's including himself in this. He's not saying you guys need to do this. He's saying, let us do this. And I hope you always know that whenever we preach to you, we say the same, we use the same kind of language. Hey, let's do this together. We're in this together. It's not anybody kind of looking down and saying, you guys need to do this. No, we need to do this together. And so he says, it's a joint effort. It's for everybody. It's not just for a select few. Let us, and now notice what he says next. Let us think of ways. Let us actually begin to think of ways. What that word is in another translation is let us consider ways. Let us think of ways or consider others and be intentional. Actually think, how can I do this? If you're not intentional in this, it won't happen. You gotta gotta really think about how can I do this? How can I spur others on? Next, he says this. Let us think of ways to motivate. That actually translates to spur one another on, to spur someone else on. The word literally means to provoke. It literally can be used in this sense too, to provoke one to anger. It also can be used in this sense to incite, all right? So it's oftentimes used in a negative sense. But he's not using this word in a negative sense. He's using it in a positive way, right? He's saying uh, instead of inciting one to a riot or instead of provoking one to anger, he says instead of siphoning the fuel out of others and fostering negativity, he said use the same energy that you would use to do that. Use the same energy to think of ways to motivate and push others along who are struggling in their faith. He's saying, come alongside people, right? Get behind others. Fuel others up to live out their faith, especially, he says, in light of the difficult age in which we live. And it's just difficult. It's a discouraging world, right? Where our tanks are constantly being emptied on a regular basis. You know, in fact, I drove by another church and they have, a, they have a Wednesday night, their Wednesday night programming, they just renamed it. It's called Refuel, right? And I like that. I thought that's great because other believers are coming together and they're getting fueled up because their tanks are constantly being emptied out on a regular basis. He says, motivate one another's, right? And he said, instead of siphoning the gas out of others, motivate, fill others' tanks, You and I, we are called to be what we'll say today, spiritual gas tankers, right? And you're rolling around town and you're rolling around by others. You're a spiritual gas tanker. Uh, You know, there are other believers that are all around you that I just want you to know this. And this has especially been evident in this series that their fuel tank is on E. Some of them has gone below E. Some of them are struggling immensely. When we did the carry your burdens or carry one another's burdens, that was a hard week for many of you. There were a lot of tears that were shed in every service. But you know what also happened? There were some breakthroughs that happened in our life groups. There were some incredible things that happened because others said, we're going to share that burden with you. We're going to come alongside. Let us be some of the ones that put fuel back in your tank, right? Let us spur you on. Now, look at what he also says. He says, don't just pass by people who are on the side of the road spiritually. He says, don't do that. Don't leave them on the side of the road on E. 
out of gas in their tank. He says in verse 25, and let us, he's going to say how to begin to not do this, and let us not neglect our meeting together. Now he's going to say this, as some people do. Let us not neglect coming together. You and I, we need to be with other believers. We need to be putting fuel in each other's tanks. You need to be regularly, definitely sitting under the teaching of God like you are at this very moment, right? But listen, it's not just about coming to a church service. It's so much more than that. Richard even alluded to this. You need to be meeting with other believers and fleshing out what's being taught, You need to be in a life group. That's what we call life groups around here. They're small groups, either in a life group or in what we call life transformation groups or even smaller groups where you're doing life with other people. You're flushing out God's word. You're holding one another accountable to the things that are being taught. You're putting gas into the tanks of others. The writer's indication is that refueling is supposed to happen when you come together. When you're coming together, when you're meeting with other believers. Now, these other believers, you know where they were meeting? They were meeting in one another's homes. They were meeting together in one another's homes. And Acts chapter 2 would say some of the things that they were doing. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were praying together. They were sharing needs together. They were helping each other. They were worshiping together, giving together. They were having meals together. Do you know what they were doing, church? having life together. They were a family. And we are called to be a part of a family just like that. And now he's going to say this, don't give up on that. Don't stop meeting together. Look at what he says, when you meet together, what you are to do. He he goes on and he says, when you meet together, don't neglect doing that. But when you do, uh, say it with me. What does he say out loud? But encourage one another. Let's say that again. But encourage one another. Especially now, he says, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. He says, don't stop doing this until Jesus comes back for you. You're supposed to be. And now the implication here is this as well, that the days before the return of Christ are going to be dark and hard days for those who are believers. Your tanks are going to be getting emptied on a regular basis. You're going to need one another. We're going to need each other is what he's saying. You're going to be getting depleted regularly, which means you've got to be encouraging each other to stay the course. Encourage one another to finish the race. Encourage each other. Put fuel in the tanks of others. So in the last of our time here, here's what I want to do. I want to look at a biblical portrait of someone who is incredible at this. This guy was what you'll find over and over again. This guy was always putting just just fuel into the tanks of those that he was around. And we want to learn from him. His name is Barnabas, good old biblical Barney. He's the one that we named our annual volunteer appreciation kind of banquet that's called the Barneys that we do in January. It's called the Barneys. Now, it's it's not about this guy here. Okay, do we have that? It's not about that guy. Greatest crime fighter of all time, amen, right? It's not about that Barney. It's certainly not about that Barney right there, okay? He depletes my tank. I'm just saying, all right? He totally depletes my tank. But we're talking about biblical Barney. We're talking about Barnabas. He's found as this living portrait of someone who's just always spurring others on to love and good deeds. It's incredible. I want to show you some ways that he does this, and we want to learn from this today, okay? Barnabas was a fuel tanker for Jesus. And I mean, I want you to begin thinking about this. God, am I a fuel tanker for you or am I one of the ones that's siphoning the fuel off of others all the time? 
Or am I one that's putting fuel in the tanks of others? I'm fueling them up. I'm getting them charged up to go back out when their tanks have been depleted. How did Barnabas do this? Look with me in Acts chapter 4. We're going to start there, but first write this down, okay? Uh, how do we spur one another on to love? Well, what we find in Barnabas is that Barnabas, what, we'll, what, what we see in him is one of the ways that he put fuel in the tanks of others. Barnabas gave generously whenever he saw a need. When he would see a need, he, there were no strings attached. He realized this, that the things that he had were not his. They belonged to God, and he would use that constantly to fuel up others, all right? Look with me in chapter 4, verse 32. It says this, that all the believers, all the believers, listen to this description. Don't you want this to be what our church is described like? Listen, all the believers were united in heart and mind, verse 32, right? And they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything that they had. There was this great spirit of generosity that was among them. There was, there was this great spirit of giving in the early church. They were, there was a right understanding of what we call stewardship, biblical stewardship. They realized that everything that they had All of their worldly resources were God's to begin with. They realized that what they had was not their own. And so they lived with open hands before God and said, God, these things that you have blessed us with, how can we use them to fuel the tanks of others? How can we use them to to press forward the kingdom of God? Now look at what it says. Go with me to verse 34. Now as a result of this, there were no needy people among them. Because those who own land or houses would sell them and they would bring the money to the apostles to give to those who were in need. By the way, there were a lot of needs because when people would become a follower of Jesus Christ, they would be persecuted. Their families would turn against them. Their businesses would fold up because no one would trade with them. It was a hard time to be a believer in Jesus. But, so there were a lot of needs, but the believers surrounded them with love. And he goes on, he says, they would, they would, they would give to those who had a need. And now he's going to give an example. Luke gives an example. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means, what does it say, church? Son of encouragement. He was a son of encouragement here. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. There's some significant things about that, but I don't have time to get into that. You can look at it for yourself. He sold a field that he owned and he brought the money to the apostles. Don't you love that the, that the early church uh, gave him a nickname, right? They're like, this guy is always encouraging others. Let's call him Barnabas, right? He's blessing people with the things that God has blessed him with. He sees a need and he says, you know what, guys? I've got some property and it's just been sitting there. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sell that and I want you to use this. I want you to use it to help some people that have a need. And that's exactly what he does. And Barnabas is the recorded uh, first donor in the early church, right? And in the church community. It says in another translation that he sold a field and he took the money from the sell of that field and he brought it to the apostles. And it says this, that he laid it at their feet. You know what he meant by that? There are no strings attached to this. 
Guys, you know exactly who has needs. You're the ones who are right in the mix of ministry here. You don't have to to put my name up on a building as a result of this. I don't need anything like that. I want to give it to to you guys because I want to see that you you help bless other people who are in great needs. And, And you look at this, you see the kind of result of this kind of generosity. What does it say? It said that all of the believers were together. They were unified. They were one in mind and in spirit. There was an excitement in that church. There was an encouragement. And verse 34 says another result is there were no needy people among them. There weren't people that were going without. There weren't people that were missing meals, that couldn't pay their bills. And when you decide, it's because of this generosity that was being fostered within this church family. And when generosity like that, when others are pitching in, you know what? It is contagious. It's contagious. There's an excitement that goes with generosity. When you decide to give like that, it spurs others on around you to be generous as well. And people want to give. It creates a groundswell of generosity whenever you know that what you're doing is making a difference in the lives of other people. It's exciting to be a part of a church that is generous. Amen, right? I love it. I love being a part of a church that is generous. We are seeking to, and it's been from the very beginning of our church, the desire to create, to cultivate, and foster a culture of generosity here at EDC. We want to be one of the most generous churches that has ever existed. We want that to be who we, who we are. Whenever God was calling me to start this church, that's one of the first things when I was sitting down writing on paper, what do I want EVC to look like? Do you know the word generous was one of the first things that I wrote down? I want our church to be generous. It's, it's our core values that we started with. It's in our DNA. And you know what? You don't hear me begging for money, do you? Do you hear me begging for money for our guests? Do you ever hear that? No. You don't hear me begging for money. We don't try to browbeat people into giving. You don't hear me guilting people, trying to manipulate people, trying to make people uncomfortable. If you've been here for any amount of time, you know that that is not how we roll. Amen, church, right? All right, I was hoping you wouldn't leave me out hanging out to dry there. Our guests would be like, yeah, so he thinks, all right? But it's not like that. But we are called. That doesn't mean that we are not called to be generous, just because, you know, and, and you're, you're, you and I, we are called to have this generosity within us and, and, and put that fuel tank or that fuel into the tank of others around us. What we do here as your leaders is we trust the Holy Spirit to speak to you. We trust that God is the one who will speak to you as we tell you about needs, as we show you the things that are going on around us. We don't have to guilt people into that. And when you as an individual, like Barnabas, decide to start living with open hands, with the resources that God has blessed you with, and you understand that that what you have is not just about you, and we actually want to teach biblical stewardship, that what you have is not just about you, but that God has blessed you to be a blessing to others. God has blessed you to be a channel and a conduit for others uh, of his blessing around you. God has blessed you to impact the kingdom of God. And that kind of generosity, it spurs on others. It encourages others. 
It spurs them on to good deeds. I want you to hear this, and I've been saying this a lot lately. I just said it a few weeks ago in our newcomers class to those who we just prayed over because I want them to get this. But I want you to hear this too because this is our heart. It is our desire to become a church so generous that we are giving more away to ministries and to new churches outside of these walls than we are keeping money for ourselves. Amen? I want to say that again. Some of you are like, really? Yes. It is our desire because we believe that God is leading us to this, that we're going to make the greatest impact for the kingdom of God to give more away, to plant more churches, to invest in more ministries all over the world than just keeping it right here in Saginaw. Amen, right? That's what we want to be about, right? That's what God has called us to, right? Can I tell you something exciting? You know we're building a building right now. It would be very tempting to put every bit of all of our resources only into that building. Can I tell you something exciting? And I got Karen to back me up right now. We have given more away in the last two years than we have kept for ourselves in that. No, not percentage Why We've given more away in the last two years, okay, than we did in the last 17 or so. Uh, I'm trying to think of how to say it, Karen. How do you say it? Is that right? We've given more away than we ever have percentage-wise. That's the way to say it. Percentage-wise, and we're right in the middle of a building campaign. What does that say about your church, right? It says that we're not just about us. We're not just about a building. And, 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 and some may say, well, I think we ought to keep more of that for ourselves. Well, you probably would be in the wrong church. I'm just saying because we're going to keep giving away because we believe that the impact is going to be greatest planting more churches, starting more churches that are going to reach people that we can never reach, right? That will never maybe even come to our church building. And so we want to just keep giving more away. I hope you know that within the last few days, because of your generosity, you know we were able to provide a 1,000 meals for people who are devastated in Hurricane Matthew. You did that. Did you know that? Right? You were able to provide a 1,000 meals. That's just in the last couple of days. You were able, because of your generosity, we were able to buy a guitar for a church planner up in Montreal who's starting a brand new church that is ready to, to start getting this church going, but they don't have the money for a guitar. We said, we'll buy the guitar for him, right? Danny went and he, he sought and found a guitar. We're getting that guitar to him. Those are the kinds of things that a, a fuel tanker church does. A fuel tanker church coming alongside other ministries, other churches, pouring it into others. But to be a fuel tanker church, it's got to be filled with fuel tanker people who love to live generously, that love to give to others, that it's not just about keeping them to, keeping it to themselves. Uh, we were able in 2005 to be one of the three founding churches of Community Link where thousands and thousands now of people, we still give regularly, where thousands are being fed, right, who are misfortunate, who are struggling. Uh, where, when the people of God live with open hands with their finances before the Lord, you know what he does? God does life-changing things through that. He changes lives. He fills the tanks of others. And I hope you know that the more you give, the more we are investing in new church plants in Montreal, where the most unreached people in all of North America are. The more you give, the more we're able to give to that. The more you give, the more we're able to make an impact in Honduras, where now a school has been built that wasn't there. 
and children are being educated. This year, two houses were built because of the generosity of you. Two houses were built for families that are living in incredible poverty unlike anything we've ever seen, right? As we were able to send a group of guys there to start building those houses. You see what I'm talking about? That is a fuel tanker church. We're called to be a fuel tanker church filled with fuel tanker people. And I I don't want you to hear me griping about money. I don't, I don't want to come, and I won't, by the way, gripe about money. But what you know what I want to do? I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you to you for your investment in the kingdom of God. I want to say thank you for believing in the vision and understanding what generosity and stewardship is all about. And, and some of you haven't just given. Some of you have given sacrificially. You're giving in a sacrificial kind of way. And when you start giving like that, you never know what's going to happen. You never know what kind of movement is going to be happening as a result of that. You're putting yourself into the flow of a reality that is so much bigger than you. And Barnabas did this. Barnabas did this on a regular basis. It's, it's, not, even just, it's not just that he gave. Do you see the spirit in which he gave? There's an openness with it. It's infectious. You know that spirit. And God's calling some of you to join in in that spirit. And, and I'm saying join in because you're missing out on the fun. You're missing out on seeing what God wants to do. Now back to the, the, the passage there. You know what you find? is You find that the disciples said, man, this guy is filling up everybody's tank around us. We got to give him another name. Joe is not good enough here. We're going to call him Barney, right? And so they start calling him Barnabas, which means encouragement. So every time Barnabas hears his name now, and they're saying Barnabas, he's saying, yeah, that, that is who I am. That's who I've always wanted to be. And he's fueling them and they're fueling him. And it's this upward spiral instead of a downward spiral. And the church is getting ready to, to just blow up in a big way, right? All over the world. And God was using Barnabas in this incredible way. He's reminded of who he is. I want to ask you this question. Are you generous? Are you generous with what God has blessed you with? Do you live with open hands with the resources that God has entrusted to you? Are you a fuel tanker when it comes to giving? Or are you one that's siphoning off of what's always being given, right? Do you fuel that, you know, do you continue to contribute? Or are you more of a consumer, all right? Now, check out a few other things about Barnabas. Barnabas, what we find is that he also put fuel in the tanks of others because he reached out redemptively to those with broken past. I love this right here. After all of this, Barnabas disappears for a little bit, okay, after chapter 4. Now, the next time we see Barnabas is in Acts chapter 9 alongside a man named Saul who had been terrorizing Jesus' followers. He'd been breathing out, as you know, Scripture says, murderous threats, finding men and women and children, putting them in prison, taking them as prisoners. Then Saul had an encounter with Jesus Christ and he repented and he turned to Jesus. Now he believes and his life has been changed. But you need to know something. Saul had a problem. You know what the problem was? When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to associate with the disciples, the new church, but they were all afraid of him and nobody would associate with him. Nobody would accept him in. They wouldn't associate with him. They could not look past his past. Now, keep this in mind. Sometimes we look at that and kind of judge him a little bit. But think about this. He'd been involved in some egregious sin. He has even been involved in the murder of their good friend, Stephen. Can you imagine that? He was there, right, giving approval to Stephen's murder. Saul had previously abused, threatened, 
persecuted, imprisoned, played a part in killing husbands, wives, brothers, sisters, those who were in the church. Saul was a spiritual terrorist. We've said it before. That's what he was, right? And now he has encountered the living Christ. He's becoming Paul. Do you think that they had a very difficult time forgiving him whenever they first ran into him? Absolutely. Because of some of the things that he had done. Well, how do, how do they know this is for real? How do they know he's not faking it? How do they know that he's not just trying to get inside and damage them even more? Nobody is going to touch this guy with a 10-foot pole because of his past and because of his brokenness. So you know what they said? Maybe we ought to send Barney. <laughs> Let's send Barney in, you know? He'll take a risk on anybody. He's the encourager, right? Barney will try this. Barnabas, you know, was sent to check out Saul. And so what does he do? Fuel tankers for Jesus believe in others who are broken, and they give them this wonderful gift. They believe this. Here's the gift, that anybody can be changed with the help of Jesus. Amen, right, church? They believe that about people. They believe that no one is too far gone. No one is too far gone. Fuel tankers for Jesus realize that if it were not for God's grace in their own life, that they'd still be stuck in a place of hopelessness too. That's what fuel tankers for Jesus understand. When they look at you, a fuel tanker for Jesus, spiritual fuel tanker, they don't look at your yesterday and let that limit who you might be today or who you might even become tomorrow. They give the gift of second chances because it's been given to them. That's what they've been given from Christ. Barnabas was willing to take a risk on Saul. He was willing to risk. He he didn't have anything to gain, right? He focused on Saul's potential in Christ rather than dwelling on the brokenness and the depravity of his past. He said, what can God do in this man? What can God do in this individual? He became his friend when Saul had nobody else. He didn't have anybody from his past. He certainly didn't have the church at this point in his life. He was alone right? Barnabas said, I'll become his friend. I'll come alongside him, right? The fuel tanker Barnabas rolls into town. I started thinking, you know, Barnabas might have even been criticized by some in the church for trying to minister to this broken man, for trying to come into this man's life. Barnabas, though, did not let that deter him. He knew he had a purpose, which was to spur others on in their faith, not to drag them down, So he spent time with Paul. He got to know him. He spurred him on to grow in Jesus. He discipled him. And then he went back to the church and he said, guys, I've been working with him. I know he has a horrible past, but Jesus has forgiven him and so should we. And this is what he did, all right? He says, I see something in this guy. He's not irredeemable. You're not irredeemable and neither is he. I think we know that with Saul, there's a rest of the story. Saul becomes Paul, right? Who would go on to write more than half of the New Testament and has become the most influential follower in, 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 of Jesus throughout history where millions of lives were changed because of one man's investment in a broken man. One man's willingness to put fuel in his tank and take a risk on him. What would have happened to Saul if there had been no Barnabas? What would have happened to him? 
his acceptance into the church is because fuel tanker Barnabas gave this broken man the wonderful gift of starting over. Let me ask you this. Where would you be? Where would you be without Jesus giving you a second chance? Where would you be today if Jesus hadn't given you this gift of redeeming the brokenness in your life? When I think about my life, I shudder to think about where I'd be. I shudder to think about the things that, that could be in my life or how my, damaged my family would be or if I would even have a family without Christ. You know, who do you need to be that to in your life? Are you redemptive with people? Are you, are you a person that, that seeks redemption and restoration or do you write people off? Are you quick to judgment with folks? Remember this. Remember Jesus said, the manner in which you judge, you will be judged. So are you one that is willing to extend that grace to others or are you going to keep that to yourself just for you? Jesus also said, let the one among you without sin, you throw the first stone, right? That's what Jesus was about. He was about second chances. He's about redemption. He's about restoration. Now look at the beautiful end of the story here. There's this wonderful little summary In chapter 9, verse 31, it says this, that when he took this chance on Saul, the church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. What does it say happened in that church? It grew. It grew in numbers. People were like, I want to be a part of a church like that. I want to be a part of a church where people give and they're taking care of each other. I want to be a part of a church where they give people second chances. I want to be a part of, of something like that. Sometimes, I have to say this, sometimes I think the world, when it comes to second chances, sometimes, unfortunately, I think sometimes the world is sometimes better at it than we are as believers. Sometimes the world is more, uh, more open to giving people a new, fresh start than, than oftentimes churches are. And we've got to understand that we don't shoot our wounded. We've got to understand that we're supposed to step into the lives of people that are broken. We come into their lives like Barnabas did, right? Now check this out. After all this, Barnabas disappears again, just very quickly, okay? He disappears again until another critical moment in the history of the church. In Acts chapter 11, there's this turning point that happens in world history. And Barnabas is right up in the middle of it again. It's when the Jewish church started sharing the gospel with the Gentiles. That's us. Now watch what happens, okay? Two final quick points. Here's what we see. Chapter 11, verse 21. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. When the church at Jerusalem heard what happened, well, who could we send to them? They sent Barnabas to Antioch. Who could we send? We know. Let's send Barney. Let's send him in. When he arrived and he saw the evidence of God's blessing, he was so filled with joy. And what did he do? He encouraged the believers. He spurred them on is what it means to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And and as a result of that, and many were brought to the Lord, right? He spurred them on. Now, here's what he's going to do. He's going to take Paul who he is invested in, and he's going to invest Paul into these believers. He said, I need the best teacher I can get. You know who that is? That's Paul. All right? So here's what Barnabas did. He prodded Paul into a position for impact. He spurs Paul along. 
He prods him along. He, he says, Paul, you pour Christ into these Gentiles like nobody else could do it, Paul. You're a great teacher. I know you can do this. And so Barnabas takes a supporting role rather than being the primary role. He comes behind and he prods him into place, right? Fuel tanker people care more about people and the kingdom of God than they do their own prominence. They want to spur others along. They want to move others into great places of ministry. You see this guy's impact? Here's the final thing. Here's another thing he did. He gave grace to Mark. He gave grace to John Mark after a failure. This is what he did. Barnabas and Paul had this young man that they were traveling with. His name was John Mark, right? And we get a glimpse of Mark in the Gospel of Mark when it says this, that when Jesus was arrested, it says there was a young man that fled and his, they ripped his robe right off of him and he fled, ran away naked, okay? That most likely was Mark, all right? Um, and so what we also find is that Mark gets afraid and Mark often runs away because he's with Paul and Barnabas, Something goes down where he gets scared again and he deserts Paul and Barnabas, all right? Now, Barnabas comes back another time and says, look, I want to take John Mark with us again on this next missionary journey. And Paul says, no dice. I'm not doing it. I'm not sticking my neck out for this guy again. And Barnabas, and it causes a problem between them. Paul disagreed, chapter 15, disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Now look at what happened. Barnabas took John Mark with him, and he sailed for Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas. So they multiplied, right? This is what happened. Imagine Barnabas saying, listen, pal, when he's talking to Paul, what would have happened if you wouldn't have been given a second chance? I took a risk on you. And I know this guy failed. I know that he messed up. But I came alongside you. Do you remember when nobody would touch you with a 10-foot pole? Uh, you know, because of the awful things that you'd done. Now, what's interesting is that the, whole, is the scripture doesn't say which one of them was right and which one of them is wrong. A lot of times the scripture will indicate this. It doesn't say this in this particular case. It's kind of up to uh, us and how the Holy Spirit leads us in this. But I want to show you something that's very interesting. Here's what's really interesting is that Paul, at the very end of his ministry, remember he had written off John Mark. But Barnabas, in, Barnabas invested in him. At the very end of his ministry, in 2 Timothy, some of his last words, these are, you sense this loneliness and this deep pain in Paul's life. He's imprisoned for the gospel. And listen to what he says to Timothy, some of his last words before he was martyred. Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Now look at what he says. Bring Mark with you when you come. For he will be useful and helpful to me in my ministry. And he did go on to be useful to Paul. And it's because Barnabas invested in someone who had a failure, right? Mark went on to write the first gospel account of Jesus. What if Barnabas had given up on Mark? What if he'd given up because he had a failure? Uh, What if Jesus gave up on us when we have failures? He doesn't. The church needs more Barnabases, amen, right? Are you a fuel tanker for Jesus? I want to invite you to prayer with me. Let's pray. Are you a Barnabas 
Do you give generously? Do you invest in others? Do you look past their past and see what they can be? Are you putting fuel in the tanks of others? Are you spurring them on to good deeds and good works and to greater love? Or are you siphoning that fuel out of the lives of others? What if this morning you just said, Lord, here I am. I come to you right now at this very moment. Lord, I want our church to be a fuel tanker for Jesus coming alongside other churches other ministries, other broken people all around. And Lord, I want to be a fuel tanker for Jesus. Would you just offer your life up to him right now? Just open hands, say, here I am, Lord. Would you use me? Would you turn me into a Barnabas, Lord? Would you fill my tank so that I can fill the tank of others? Father, we thank you that you never give up on us, that, Lord, you redeem us. You take these broken lives and you make them into something that's useful for you. Lord, and would you cause us to spur one another on to good deeds and to love the way that you have loved us. Thank you for this series, Lord. Thank you for this passage. Would you make the fellowship richer and deeper in this church? Lord, it is in the name of Jesus that we pray and all God's people said.